freedom ring Let freedom ring Let freedom ring Let freedom ring This is Under the Tree, a seminar on freedom with Bill Ayers. That was the singer, songwriter, and freedom fighter Tom Morello with Let Freedom Ring, our podcast's hopeful theme song. Tom's generosity is an inspiration. He shows up whenever people are coming together under the banner of freedom in search of peace and justice. This is episode 62, and it's a special episode focused on a day a month ago that still has me buzzing. October 22nd, 2022, we graduated five students from the University Without Walls at Stateville Prison. It was a moving day, an inspiring day, and I want to tell you about it. I guess to begin, let's hear from one of the student speakers. This is Reginald Beauclair speaking at his own commencement, at his own graduation from college. Hello, how's everyone doing? I'm gonna do this piece for y'all I call Reimagine This Space. As I look into this crowd and I look upon your faces, I ask each and every one of you to realize this space. When you see penitentiary, we the graduates of 2022 see a university without walls, one filled with classrooms, not cells, each room containing human beings with the potential for self-actualization that has yet to be fully realized. Here, Education represents hope, and hope is what you see in us. Can you hear us? Can you feel us? Although marginalized and incarcerated, our collective spirits have remained unbroken, undeterred, even as we struggled at times with our existence as defined by a moment. But in this moment, we are the marvelous being conveyed to you, but only if you could reimagine this space. The conditions that cause us to convene represent the institution of community to execute change. This moment is a contemporary future thing, grounded in the past contemporary thing. If society has the courage and the imagination, you can see punitive confinement being spatially changed into a space where reconciliation, study, planning, and flight can happen, does happen. Where society is told the penitentiary, you too can see a university without walls, where life experiences are validated and incarnate as practices of living theory. Here we learn the art of being and yet becoming, but only if you can reimagine this space. Today we celebrate the culmination of our educational journey through a a global pandemic, from the margins to the center. Along the way, deconstructing social binaries that keep us violently divided and keeps us from realizing our desires to live in a world free from oppression, free from exploitation, a transformative world where incarcerated nightmares give way to freedom dreams. In the words of visionary writer Octavia Butler, who said, 
Nothing under the sun is new, but there are new suns. But only if you can reimagine this space. Thank you. So I teach in this program. I teach classes on writing memoir and writing the personal essay. Challenges and obstacles to teaching and learning in prison are pretty self-evident if you think about it for a minute. The difficulty of negotiating the clotted bureaucracy with some balance and some humor. The struggle to overcome institutional norms that value passivity and obedience. The strain of working under the harsh light of pervasive surveillance. All of that makes teaching and learning pretty rough. And these, of course, were intensified during the pandemic. But my students and I have an agreement. We agree to call on the better angels of ourselves to summon the humane values of generosity and forgiveness and to work on our own agendas toward our own goals as best we can within whatever barriers are put in our way. And by the way, the barriers could never be adequately anticipated or accounted for. They simply floated along on a culture that was part mindless authority, part arbitrary rules, part whimsy, the banality of cruelty. We succeeded and prevailed in large and small ways, and that's a testament to the determination, curiosity, and courage of my students. They weren't there to check a box. They had hopes for themselves. Authentic learning, of course, requires free thought, curiosity, inquiry, problem-posing, question-asking, and assumes that students could need no one's permission to interrogate the world. Learning is undermined when students are inspected, spied upon, regulated, appraised, censured, measured, registered, counted, admonished, checked off, prevented, and sermonized, or when they're read off as statistical profiles. That's pretty much common practice in prison. These are normal conventions behind bars. And so we had to work overtime to create our own norms, our own small spaces where we could exercise our natural agency and acknowledge our true histories, our deepest values, and where we could catch a glimpse of freedom. Every class began with poetry and a low-stakes writing exercise. You're familiar with this if you listen to this podcast at all because that's how we begin every class as well. The writing prompts from me, writing responses from students are all things you probably know. I call these exercises our writing calisthenics, and I argued to my students that like any other exercise or calisthenics routine folks might engage in, running, push-ups, weightlifting, these were for the sole purpose of building up and toning our writerly muscles. The exercises were modest and simple, meant to be done quickly and spontaneously, and therefore expected to be unfinished or fragmentary, but simultaneously stimulating latent memories, jogging consciousness, inspiring new awarenesses. Here are a few examples of the prompts, and again, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard them all. What is your mother's mother's name, and where is she from? What is your mother's name, and where is she from? And what's your name, and how did you get here? People interpret that in a thousand different ways. Another one, how's the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? Or, what are you known for, and what do you want to be known for? Or, who are your people? Who do you claim as your own, and who claims you? What history do you stand on? What future do you stand for? And so on. Very, very familiar to those of you who listen. Here's a sampling of student responses to those writing calisthenics. I stand on the history of every battle, every struggle, every suffering experienced by every black soul that existed before me. I stand on the history of those who fought and died for a better future for generations of my people that they would never live to meet. Depending on who you ask, I'm known for my intelligence, my love of house music, and my integrity. I'm never bored. I'm doing something or not. 
My mind is always at work, and that brings me joy and happiness. On and on and on. The writing calisthenics got better and better, provoking a flood of dazzling responses, some of which worked their twisty way into longer and more polished writing assignments. We encouraged each other to read widely, to read with a defined purpose, and that was to read like a writer. We explored a range of personal essays and memoirs, Jesmond Ward, Elizabeth Alexander, Claudia Rankin, for example, and we reflected on and worked toward reading not as consumers, but as peers and associates, fellow writers and colleagues. We nourished an eye toward asking writerly questions, questions of our comrade authors. How did she create a credible character? How did she deploy dialogue to illuminate a scene? What technique did they use to speed up the action? How did they construct a narrative voice that was compelling and believable? And then how can I do that? What parts of the text were vivid and luminous, and how did the writer achieve it? In response to Alexander's The Light of the World, for example, one student found the descriptions of her husband completely believable and felt that he'd gotten to know him personally, gaining significant insight into their love for one another. How did she achieve that believability? by piling up details, one upon another upon another, some seemingly insignificant, until he became a three-dimensional creature, much like ourselves. Details can create intimacy. That was reading like a writer. Another noted that her husband's African cooking and even his recipes made the student's mouth water, and that brought the husband's spirit to life. Using all five senses, touch, sight, sound, smell, taste, as you paint a scene, can bring the reader closer to the living action. That also was reading like a writer. On and on and on. My students inspired me every day. One recent visit, we were talking about pronouns, how people today want to choose their pronouns and want to ask you to respect them by using the proper pronoun when you refer to them. One of my students, the student you just heard, actually, Reginald Beauclair, began the conversation by saying, look, guys, we've been in here a long time and we're getting older. The culture's moving forward. So let's approach this question with generosity and with imagination. Let's not be too quick to judge. Let's just start by saying, okay, I'll consider this. I'll respect you in that way. And then Reginald said, my pronouns are he, him. The next guy to speak said, look, I'm old school. I don't know if I can change. And by the way, I don't have pronouns. To which Reginald said, I is a pronoun. So you do have pronouns. And that went on like that. The next person who spoke talked about having a white inmate transferred to their block. And the guy said to him at one point, you know, I've never been around so many colored people. To which the student took him aside, not angrily, but just to educate him and said, listen, we don't call ourselves colored people. You can call us African-American or black but don't call us colored because that's disrespectful. And so I'm going to go with this pronoun thing because I want to respect everybody. Now, that was a conversation that went so quickly into the basic issue of respect and didn't get stuck on grammar or, you know, those kinds of things. There was conversation about Muhammad Ali, how long it took him to be called by his right name and how much a struggle that it was. And so these guys intuitively knew that the issue was respect and that they were going to start there and figure it out. The other thing that keeps with me is their their commitment to education as a pathway to changing their lives was awesome. Their insights and interventions reminded me to accept as valid the lived experience of others and their struggles to remain all the way human inside a system built on dehumanization excited me and motivated me to try to be a smarter 
and a better student and teacher. One student wrote, and I'm quoting, I want to use my life and experience to support, develop, and educate young people. I want to be a living example of what love, support, perseverance, resiliency, education, and opportunity can do for a kid society deemed worthless. Why? Well, this is part of the debt I owe to the family I disgraced, the community I terrorized, and those I victimized. I fully understand repayment is impossible because I can't reform what lives are taken, but I can at least try to pay it down. That speaks for the class, dynamic, alive, trembling, and real. I'm really excited to be here this afternoon with some very special friends. Um, these are all folks who were involved in the Prison Neighborhood Arts and Education Project and a really exciting program. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit about a recent commencement, a graduation that we all attended. I wanted to tell you who's in the room. Um, we're here with Colette Payne, Gina Dent, who spoke at the commencement, Timmy Chow, Erica Miners, Eliza Gonring, and Alice Kim. And thank you all for being here. I think we should begin by um, asking the founders, the, the directors of the project, to tell us a bit about, uh, about uh, PNAP, where it got started, how far we've come, and where we are. Maybe you'd begin, Erica. Just really great to be here, um, joyous to hear people's voices and to be in community. So thank you for the invitation, Bill. Um, and maybe I'll start and then I'll ask um, other comrades who are on the call to jump in. But I think we're 12 years old now, uh, PNAP, Prison Neighborhood Arts and Education Project. And we really started, you know, with zero cash um, and, <laughs> and a lot of um a lot of creativity. We started in part because people were at Stateville Prison, which was less than an hour away from Chicago, and they were connecting with us, writing to us, and asking us to um, to come and um, to support their work. Um, we started with a lecture series. We started with arts and cultural production. Um, those of us who were working on this project um, didn't want to just set up another education in prison program. Many of us were abolitionists or proto-abolitionists and feminists. Um, we we wanted to do work that was transformative and to support uh, people to get free, which is what you know what what their um, initial their their real goal is. But um, just like our working in our everyday lives, um, trying to support people to get access to education, to to make connections with organizers, to do cultural production work, PNAP has many different facets. So we've moved a lot over the last twelve years. We do all different kinds of work, um, but we started in part because people inside were reaching out and connecting and wanted those in the free world who were doing organizing work, abolitionist work, feminist work to um, know what was happening inside Stateville Prison. So I'll pass to Alice to um, add on maybe. Sure. Uh, 
you know, I've been teaching with PNAP since 2015. And I think that one of the things that amazes me about um, PNAP is the sense of community um, that has been built over the years. And when I think back to sort of the beginnings and the early days of PNAP to today, I think that's one of the key things I think that we've built over the years. Um, when Erica says that PNAP is more than an education project, I think you can see that in the the people who are in our community over these years that we've built with folks um, inside. I think there's three things that kind of make PNAP distinctive. And one of them is um, a slogan that if you've been on our web website um, or seen our t-shirts, um, you'll be familiar with it, but it's education for everyone everywhere, right? And I think viewing education as a human right is one of um, those things. I think also um, oftentimes prison education programs are geared towards people who have outdates, right? And this goes back to education being for everyone everywhere. And, you know, many of our students um, have life sentences or de facto life sentences. And, you know, they have refused and they have insisted um, that they want an education. And we have insisted alongside them, right? Not to have the same criteria that other programs may, may have or that corrections may may impose on us, but we feel very committed um, to that. And I think also, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, building solidarity with folks inside. And I think through this work, um, we've all learned what meaningful solidarity um, can look like and what it could be, right? And I think, um, you know, thinking of it not as a singular act, but really thinking of it as a sustained practice. And over the years, I think we've really become entangled with the lives and livelihoods of people um, who are caged and inside. And I think that's also something I've seen um, in PNAP um, over the years. And a quick joke, we had um, the Prison Neighborhood Arts and Education Project. We had this beautiful poster designed by one of our comrades, Damon Locks, that had an extra O in neighborhood. And it was on my wall for years. And then somebody noticed, isn't that spelled wrong, neighborhood? And I was like, oh, my God, it is, right? But it's still a beautiful poster. And I have it up with three O's in neighborhood. <laughs> Art for everyone. So, Timmy, why don't you jump in and talk a little bit about how this project got to where we were um, in October. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, my name is Timmy Chow, pronouns he, him. I'm currently the uh, executive director of PNAP. And so I think just, I appreciate Erica and Alice's intro. Um, Cause I think for me, what's, I got involved in at the end of 2018. And I mean, I got involved by way of, at the time I was working with the Chicago Torture Justice Memorials, which was a collection, a collective of artists, scholars, activists working to realize a fight for reparations, specifically um, the fight to uh, for a memorial for the survivors of uh, police torture at the hands of po former police commander Chicago, uh, John Burge. And through that work, I, got to meet Sarah Ross, uh, who's not on here, and Alice Kim, um, who were both the members of that collective. And I remember they approached me, you know, uh, 
to about PNAP. And for me, as a young kind of activist who was very much politicized around during, uh, you know, in the wake of the Ferguson uprisings and was like learning and grappling with the issues of, you know, police and state violence and learning about black feminism, transformative justice and at prison and police abolition. And that being a core part of my like developing political identity to then be approached by Alice and Sarah, be like, yo, we have this project we're building with incarcerated activist scholars and uh, movers inside Stateville. Do you want to, do you want to be a part of that? I was like, of course. Right. And I think um, for me, what really has made, which ties, you know, builds to the, the day that we're, you know, the graduation event was, you know, PNAP has always been about freedom. Freedom has always been the horizon. And so me, how I understand the work that we do is really carving out infrastructure and connections um, that chip away at the walls and are able to like build avenues and, and containers to connect um, folks inside and out um, in a political way that's always pushing toward freedom. Um, and one of the ways, part of that, you know, uh, theory of change, uh, how we move is, you know, getting folks inside the resources, skills and experiences they need um, to do that work themselves in collaboration and in solidarity and alongside activists in the free world or so-called free world. Um, and so part of that is through one of the efforts that we do is the partnership with uh, NEIU Foundation or Northeastern Illinois University um, that where Erica Miners, uh, Dr. Miners is a professor. Um, and through uh, NEIU, we have the University Without Walls program, which is a bachelor's, a super rad and unique uh, bachelor's degree program where folks that take our classes in PNAP can, uh, a subset of those um, students can be working toward a bachelor's degree where they're getting more intensive support, academic, rigorous, rad political education and skills training on various things, right? You know, some of our recent cohort that graduated at the event are artists. Many are like deep intellectual rigorous researchers and thinkers, um, poets, um, and so forth. So in many ways, the graduation was a culmination of seeing a lot of that work, the fruits of a lot of that work, and being able to celebrate the the, the work and achievements and and um, you know, years of of work and 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 uh um and yeah, work and struggle of the cohort that graduated. Um, Reginald Beauclair, Michael Bell, Daniel Perkins, Juan Luna, um, and Darnell Lane, who are all the graduates at that graduation event. So really it was, you know, um, carving out the, <laughs> a very special moment to celebrate their achievements and celebrate the achievements of our entire collective uh, and community that really makes it all possible. You all did something amazing, though, to get to that day. And I, I, I'm going to just describe it real quickly, and then I'm going to allow you to weigh in on this, because somehow the staff, the, the, the folks who work at PNAP, were able to get um, a day that was absolutely glorious, that we had not only the five graduates that Timmy just mentioned, but um, we had Gina Dent, who's here, and we had her as a commencement speaker. We had Fred Moten as a commencement speaker. We had Chance the Rapper um, doing music. Um, it was a glorious, glorious thing. But one of the things that blew me away was each 
each graduate was allowed to bring in five family members. So we had 25 family members, and that was mind-blowing, and I can't believe that happened without a struggle. So I want you all to, you know, fill people in on how did you get us to that day, which I'm still buzzing from because it, it really moved me so deeply. Eliza, maybe you want to jump in. Yeah, um, so Timmy did most of the logistical planning, so I think he could speak better to um, some of the finer details of getting the family members and everyone else inside. Um, but I'm glad it looked like it was without struggle. <laughs> that's, that's always a big accomplishment. Um, no, I said it looked like it was a result of struggle, but I mean, I knew it had to be, but it was such a smooth and beautiful day at the same time. Yeah. Um, well, I know for me getting to meet the family members is really special because I'd like just seen their names on like a list leading up to it to um, get them approved to be on the gate pass, which is always like a bit impersonal, but also like really intimate because you see like someone's like birthday and like all these details about them, but like, you don't really know <laughs> what they look like at all. Um but leading up to the event, I was calling the family members a lot to give them reminders um, and texting them. And I think through those phone calls, um, which I called them many times, uh, I, I was able to like each time I feel like get a bit a bit more personal with them. Uh, and then the day of helping them get through the, um, I guess like security check-in, um, walking with them to the graduation, it was nice that we kind of already knew each other's names. We knew each other's voices. Um, I was like already able to know who they were there for. And so it already felt like we knew a little bit about each other, even though we were learning, uh, meeting each other for the first time. Um, and just seeing how much they reminded me of the students was also really nice, um, like both physically and then also just like joking around with them. I was like, oh, this is definitely where Michael got his sense of humor <laughs> from. Um, so. All of that just felt super special, not to mention sitting down and eating with them. And Gina, you were one of the commencement speakers. And as I said earlier, to have Gina Dent, Fred Moten, Chance the Rapper, Harvard Law School should be so lucky. Um, but you gave a great talk. And maybe you'd talk a little bit about both what you said, but also how the day felt to you. Well, thank you. Yeah. I was amazed because I've been hearing about PNAP probably since the beginning. And um, I've been hearing about Stateville. Um, I uh, have been working on a project over many years with some people, including Erica. And um, Erica would update us throughout COVID as we were working on the situation at Stateville. Um, and it was uh, especially exciting to be able finally to go and to meet the students. Um, I don't know what I was expecting exactly, but I definitely wasn't expecting something to feel um, though, you know, once we cleared security checks and waited that long time, you always wait before you enter. Um, there was a sense of celebration that was palpable in the room. And when I got up to speak and looked to my right and saw five students, Michael, Reginald, Darnell, Juan, and Daniel sitting there in front of me as I was speaking and then looked to my left and saw their families and friends and loved ones. It was so thrilling um, to be able to 
be with them finally. Um, but also thrilling because during the ceremony, each of them came to the stage and made a speech um, and that they had prepared. They had clearly spent time lovingly crafting their speeches. They were, um, they, they had incredible stage presence. They wrote beautiful pieces and it was wonderful to see them each take part in introducing someone who was um, coming to speak to them. And so I felt that in a very short period of time, I was able to get to know them a bit. Um, and then of course, we had a following event the next day at Haymarket House in Chicago. And um, it was wonderful for me then having gotten to meet each of them to see their portraits um, in an art exhibition, to hear more about them, to see more of the people who know them. I, I, I have to say that I know it was a lot of work to get to that event, but it strikes me that we should all learn from this how possible it is um, to make a day like this that is that special, even in these incredible constraints. And this is not the way we all desire to deliver education, but it is absolutely the right thing to do to give everyone access to education. And I know that I will never forget that day, not the sunshine, not the food, not the hugs, um, and and not all of the things that were said and, and shared during that time. Everyone around the table is smiling and remembering. And Colette, maybe you'd weigh in right now about about your day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just hearing everyone's comments makes me smile. I, I just see it so so vividly and clear. Um, but you know, when when so I think about that day of the graduation and and the nervousness and the butterflies that I felt in my stomach, even though I go into prison often, but each time I go in, I always have this different feeling. Um, And it was a day for me to celebrate them. Um, And not only them kind of like celebrate myself, um, in solidarity with them because I just received um, my undergrad bachelor's degree from the university with that WOWS program. Um, Something that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have the support of the community um, and the folks who are here. So just to have on my cap and gown with them and we're all like matching and, you know, like, they were happy to see me there with them, right? Um, they came up to me and thanked me for the work that I'm doing on the outside to support folks who are incarcerated. Um, and, you know, I can say this, I don't celebrate myself often. And to, and folks are not celebrated often, but to be celebrated in a dark place um, because prison is a dark place. Um, to have education in the dark place is important. Um, like education is a, a form of resistance and, you know, it, it, it helps you rid yourself of all those like false narratives that 
you know, when you do certain things or get charged with a certain crime and people tell you you're not going to amount to anything, you're bad, you're this, you're, you you all know all the horrible things, um, you know, that folks are told when they're incarcerated and, and to be able to have that opportunity to further your education so you can just like free your mind. You, you you remove yourself from a dark space into a whole new world that looks different from the place that you're in. Mm. So to be there to celebrate with them that day of graduation was awesome. And then the next day um, at Haymarket, oh, my God, the line was so beautiful with everybody. Like, I'm had my the sunshine. And then I got to meet Angela Davis. Like, I was like, it was... Uh, it was really good. Like it, it, I will never forget it. And, um, like it lives in my spirit. Um, all the guys who graduated, they live in my spirit. Like, um, the struggle is real and life can be tough when you don't have the support from community. And we are that community. You know, I remember when, when Fred Moten spoke, I mean, he he started by saying, I, I've, "I'm so happy to be here with you today." And he was referencing the five graduates, and so happy to be here with you and your families. And then he stopped and said, "Let me start again. I'm so unhappy to be here with you today, because you don't need correcting. The world out there needs correcting, and you need to help us correct it." I mean, I thought that was a a, a marvelous kind of sense, and I I, I can picture you. Colette, in your cap and gown, you looked absolutely radiant. And going from family to family, yeah, it was it was worth celebrating, worth celebrating. Uh, one thing that G- Gina mentioned, I'd love one of you to explain this, uh, Timmy, or maybe Timmy, that each of the graduates got a portrait painted by a Chicago portrait artist as a commencement gift. I thought that was somehow the most brilliant idea to give that as a present because one of the things prison does is it erases you. And here are these brilliant, vibrant portraits. And then I think the program gave each family postcards of the portrait. Have I got that right? I think I do. How did that come to be? That was a a brilliant intervention. Yeah, and uh, Eliza, you can chime in here too if I miss 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 uh speak anything but um that was actually the the brainchild and thanks to the coordination and work of one of eliza and i's co-workers jason lafountain who is currently our development and higher education coordinator he really holds down the university without walls program um and so yeah jason worked kind of coordinated with some other artists in the free world uh on the outside to realize these beautiful portraits that were, you know, uh, created through very meticulously through a very particular process, compiling different, you know, image representations, really trying to challenge the, you know, the limited representation in the state's representation of folks that, like, as you mentioned, tries to erase people. Um, And yeah, that was stewarded by Jason and the art and those artists. And um, it was a very powerful and as you said what they were we were able to exhibit them at the haymarket space near our office um for other folks to 
find another way to like, you know, make those connections and, and make those connections realer and more tangible. Um, and, um, I wish it didn't have to be that way for folks to, to make those connections, but it also, you know, is a part of how we, you know, relate and are able to relate with one another. Um, what real quickly, I did want to come back to the without a struggle comment, um, just <laughs> Eliza mentioned to, but the five family members, um, I think a quick, so folks, so there is, it, there was a struggle. <laughs> um, and uh, the thing I wanted to say, just not so much to visualize labor or, or recognition or anything like that, but for the sake of people that are interested in trying to build those kind of moments and carve out those moments is, you know, I come from a more community organizing background, right? Where you fight for, you have to have power. You have, you have to build collective power to realize your demands. We're not asking for things. We are positioning conditions so that you know, decision makers are the people that we're trying to take, uh, get what we want from, uh, concede to those those demands. And I think my experience in collaborating and working and organizing alongside folks within PNAP and even an event like this, right, was were tapped a lot of those perspectives and skills. And so far as every little piece of that graduation could have been a campaign. <laughs> if you think about like, like, Everything from the number of family members was I had prepped and talked through with the graduates our plan, right? What would I be asking for? How you wanted me to frame this? But also the give and take and, and kind of political maneuvering, right? Like it wasn't a coincidence that, you know, chance and that political legislators were, were there, right? And the perfect combination of things that allowed for this number of guests, right? Or this many family members or are this many non-graduating students to attend. Um, and that was through many conversations, stressful conversations of, of, of maneuvering uh, between me and, and, you know, prison administrators and wardens and um, in, 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 in collaboration with cohort, the, the graduates themselves and folks inside. And, um, and, and it worked out. Um, and it worked out. I think the point there too is like every like it takes a lot of work to uh, to get folks inside what they need, and and um, and it's an antagonistic and, and uphill battle. Everything. Everything. Sure. I mean, uh, even after the fact, dealing with the water crisis, you know, the day after we learned that many of the students that were attending the graduation hadn't had for, had access to warm water for weeks, right? So, um, yeah. Just. Well, I thought I'd just say one other thing about the day that was impressive to me, uh, Timmy and Eliza and all of you was we broke bread with our students for the first time ever, and I was so move to sit down across the table and share a meal. I thought that was amazing. That must have been the result of more negotiation and more struggle because that was pretty special. Um, I just wanted to add something real quick about, this is Eliza, about the portrait project. Um, is that it was painted by two young artists uh, working out of SAIC, Ruth Poor and Helen Sanchez-Cortez. Um, and the project uh, was worked on for like about a year and it was the 
portraits were mainly made during the height of COVID. So they weren't able to go inside and actually meet the students until graduation long after the portraits had been completed. So they were um, compiled from state ID photos and then uh, photos of the students prior to their incarceration. Um, and then following the graduation, they were gifted the graduation and the ex exhibition. Um, each student had two portraits done of them and they got to choose two loved ones that the actual portraits themselves, which are like pretty big in person. Um, Jason coordinated dropping them off to the family members. Um, and then we have photos of all the family members with the uh, portraits. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, we, we're not going to stay on too much longer, but I want to get last words, last feelings about that day. This is bringing it all back to me. It's very moving. Um, I see it's moving to Colette and to several of you, but anything else, other story or, or event you'd like to just mention? I was just kind of leaning into the point about contradictions and, you know, listening to folks talk. I mean, that it's important to celebrate that day, but it's also important especially in this political moment, as Pell Grants are being reinstated for people inside prison, as restrictive enrollment, private universities are trying to, you know, um, support sometimes people inside prison, that we think about this work as abolitionist work, as feminist work, as transformative work. Um, Alice and I flagged earlier that the goal of PNAP has never been to deliver simply a high quality education program in prison, but people inside and their family members want to you know, want to transform their conditions. They want to be in the communities. They want to be accountable for the harm that they've done. They want they want to be um, present. Um, so our project has always tried to do you know that both and has you know we're in the prison but not of the prison. We're really trying to do cultural production inside, um, and we're also you know trying to um, you know get people out. Right. So I think that that is really important in this political moment and that day. You know, talking to seeing you know. You know, Colette inside some of our formerly incarcerated learning fellows, you know, that are were inside meeting Dan's sons, you know, who are taller than him, including Dan Jr. <laughs> you know, look like it's him, just yeah. A, yeah. yeah, just as a reminder that we need to kind of like, of course, we need to take down the prison, but we also need to make, you know, public higher education accessible to everyone, right? So Dan's kids can have somewhere to go, right? You know, they can't afford, you know, post-secondary education or they're struggling. So all that to say is those deep contradictions, Bill, that you that Bill that you're reminding us of, that everyone's reminding us of today. You know, yes, we want to hold the joy and the celebration, but also the reminder that the work is the work is ongoing. Alice, yeah, I think that that day um, really was representative of also what happens inside our classrooms whenever we go in. There is a kind of magic that happens in the classroom. And I think of something that you often say, Bill, um, that um, learning really is about unlocking the wisdom in the room, right? And I think I'd add to that, that it's not only unlocking the wisdom, it's unlocking, you know, at the side of the prison, subjugated knowledge, um, love, um, imagination, um, our creative potential, right? All of that. And I think that we see that happening um, in our classes. You know, so it really makes me um, think about the, that day and our classes makes me think about the James Baldwin quote. I've shared this with some of you before, you know, that American history is longer, larger, more various, more beautiful and more terrible 
than anything anyone has ever said about it. And I think that's really true about the way that I think of our classes um, and graduation that day. It also makes me think about um, something that Devon Terrell said, who's uh, was one of our graduates from the first cohort. And I think this is what happened on that day. And this is also what happens in our classrooms. He said, I walk into the future by visualizing it today. And I think that really captures the spirit um, of PNAP and the, the spirit of the graduation. We were walking into the future by visualizing it, by enacting it um, that day and in our classes. Gina. Well, I think Erica and Alice have so beautifully covered it, but I think maybe it's important for people to also uh, be reminded that as beautiful as the day was, it was also a incredibly difficult reminder that if people had access to quality um, education outside, and if we could grow up in a world that would allow them access to that education, that we wouldn't be in a situation where people are having to find that late in life and trying to um, connect to um, these projects and this art and this world uh, from inside of that place. And so it's, you know, it's so striking to me every time I'm inside and especially in this situation where we have these graduates in front of us that um, the people that I was talking to were so incredibly um, generous in their reading and careful about their um, words and excited by the prospect of learning more and had incorporated um, thinking through the arts in a way that expanded their relationship to every other subject. And these are all things that I wish that we would be able to give to every child. Colette, any last words? Yeah, they, there is. Um, you know, people, like everyone said, should have access to education if if they want it. Um, and, you know, just being a part of the PNAP community and helping to plan um, some of this education that is being brought in. Um, just want to raise that, um, you know, hopefully next year will PNAP be going into Logan, um, the University Without Walls program. And, you know, women don't have the opportunities like that men do in, in relation to education inside. Um, helping and listening to the women, asking them what type of education do they want, do they need, what do they need to see is important. It's like, this program is being planned with them for them. It's not just, hey, we're the academics here. We're planning this process for you. Um, the women at Logan Correctional Center are being asked, what do they want, Ronnie? And so, I mean, that's huge. That That doesn't happen. I've never seen it happen where, you know, incarcerated people are being asked, women in particular, what do they want outside of uh, a sewing class or a cooking class? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all um, need to learn that, but um, outside of that, uh, you know, domestic part that, I mean, I guess we're supposed to have, I'm glad I know how to cook, but 
<laughs> we need to learn other things beside that. And, and PNAP is bringing that. Uh, and I love it. You know, as we as we come to a close, I, I feel so again moved, connected, re-inspired, um, awakened. And I remember uh Moten quoting at the end of his talk, uh June Jordan, um, the great, great poet, and he quoted uh, a three-line poem, uh, and and it read, um, There is no chance that we will fall apart. There is no chance. There are no parts. And I just thought, man, uh, that, that's what we're about. We're about connection. We're about reaching out to each other and holding on to each other. And it's just a joy to see you all here, to, to think back on that day and to think forward to the work ahead because there's so much to be done. And I can't think of anything better than getting that work done shoulder to shoulder with you. So thank you for joining me and for being here and for the work you do. Thanks a lot, you guys. We'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Thanks. Love Bye. you. Okay, folks, let's dive into the wreckage and swim as hard as we can in the direction of our dreams. Let's try to stay all the way human. Thanks to our friends at the Dazzling Podcast, Ergo, to my co-conspirators, Light Eileen and Roxana Espos, and to Palace Shaw for producing and engineering. Okay, folks, go forth and make your life a practice of abolition. Until next time.